if you've got something to sell or some way to monetize, right? Focus on believing that people are sophisticated enough to discover you through processes of like reading your bio, checking you out, clicking on the links in your description. You can give a little plug at the end, certainly, but try not to go overboard. And I think the best rule of thumb is sort of give 100% when you give and sell 100% when you sell. Never try to do the two together because they won't work and they won't have the effect that you want. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 904. We're talking about YouTube. YouTube is very popular, of course. But then there's what's the point of YouTube? What do we want to do with it? Now, for some people, it will be ideal to generate leads from YouTube. So I've asked Can Huang from socialwave.com.au to come along and talk about generating leads from YouTube. Far away. Great to have me uh, on the podcast again, James, and appreciate it. And um, I think it's an important topic because uh, certainly we've spoken about this in the past where a lot of people have been able to generate a massive audience on YouTube, but they don't know how to monetize or generate leads if that is your goal. So I think this episode is going to be all about that. By the way, just on that topic, I just want to jump in here. I see people all the time you know, who have a massive following, like hundreds of thousands of subscribers. They have um, lots of comments and stuff. And then I see social media posts of them saying, oh, you're going to get haters, you're going to get trolls. And, you know, by all means, attack me, don't attack my husband or my kids or whatever. And I'm thinking, but you put your husband and your kids in your videos. So it's <laughs> kind of like, yeah. But anyway, besides that, then when we get under the hood and some of them sort of get coaching or whatever, I see that they've got a lot of noise, but not a lot of signal. Like they're not generating huge income off this huge list. And as I like to say, you can't go down to your local supermarket and use likes to pay for your groceries. So that's why leads is really where, for most people, this is what the goal is. So even if you have a small audience, you can still generate leads that turn into great sales, especially if you combine it with a recurring subscription model, if you work on increasing the lifetime customer value. So I just wanted to preempt it. That's, if you like, why is leads the goal in this case, in this episode? That's the point. So... With that being said, let's get into it. Yeah, look, I think um, to your point around sort of audience size, you know, we've got clients who have massive, massive hundred thousands of subscribers, but then we've got others who only have a few thousand. The point is, is that I think you actually need less than you actually think to run a successful business. And um, I think the piece I point people towards is actually a piece called 1000 True Fans written by Kevin Kelly, which a lot of people know about. And that is to say that if you can get a thousand people paying you a hundred dollars every year and a true fan being defined as someone who would just you know, spend anything, you monetize anything you create and they'll pay for it. That is a very small ask of a very small fan base. So the idea that if you can generate that and earn a living off that is phenomenal because even if you think about, you know, before the dawn of the internet, which was, you know, 25 years ago, you certainly wouldn't be able to do that. So YouTube is now sort of the opportunity, you know, amongst other things like social media to be able to do that. But I think that the thing that makes YouTube unique is sort of the evergreen aspect of the platform. And what I mean by that is the ability for you to create content and then years and years down the track, still be discovered by people and still for people to be able to engage and find out about you and then eventually lead to maybe becoming you know, customers and clients as well. So that's quite different compared to say your TikToks and also your Facebooks and your Instagrams, partly because the half-life of the content that you create is generally quite short. So you have to continually create that. Whereas with YouTube, I would liken it more to a snowball effect. It rolls into something bigger and bigger over time, the more prolific you get. That was my huge objection to Clubhouse. You know, like you talk and then it's gone. It's not captured, recorded. There's very little leverage on that other than the relationships or the goodwill that you create. 
Same with stories and stuff, they tend to disappear unless you bookmark them. But YouTube, you're right. I was having a look at my YouTube channel because I'm in the process of setting my personal channel up. I had one video there that I loaded up 10 years ago. (laughs) It's still there. And I actually watched it. And I thought, I wonder what I was up to 10 years ago. And it was actually, I think the video is even older than that, but I loaded it up there 10 years ago and it was really interesting watching my old self. But yeah, it is kind of an archive. And no doubt it gets some traffic and subscribers, just that one video. So yeah, so that being the case, all right, so we decide that we're going to have our YouTube channel. I suppose we're going to build up some subject matter expertise. Yeah, that's right. I think um, that's where we usually say you start with. Before you decide, you know, the videos and how frequently you're going to publish and, you know, such and such, it's really important to really just focus on what are you going to be the expert in? Now, you don't necessarily need to be the number one person in this particular area from the get-go, you can be the relevant expert, which is you need to be better than say your audience, but don't do it too to the case where I know James, you've talked about that, which is you become a pretender. I mean, you certainly have to be an expert in that field, but certainly I think some people say, oh, it's an unachievable thing unless I've got a PhD and whatever that is that I'm not able to do that. Unless you tell people you're not an expert, unless you say to people, I'm learning this thing and I'm going to document it. That's fine. I just don't like that old saying about you've just got to know one more step ahead than your customer and then you're ready to teach. It's like Monday, you know, a new thing comes out. Tuesday, people start sort of asking questions. Wednesday, they buy someone's course on it. Thursday, the sales letter goes up for their own course. And Friday, they're promoting a high ticket version of it. I'm like, (laughs) whatever happened where anyone would think that that's okay. So I guess what you're saying is if you're going to start a YouTube channel, you know, work with your strengths, go with the thing that you have the deepest knowledge on that you could be seen as an expert that likely people come to you and ask for help with. Yeah, that's right. And I think the way we see it is sort of, we all go to people and, you know, we go to products and services when we don't have expertise to do it ourselves, right? So like when you engage a plumber, is he the number one plumber in the world? He's probably not. So the idea is that you're sort of looking for someone who's better than you, who can get that job done, say, faster, more efficiently or more mistake-free as well. So the same principle applies for when you set up your YouTube channel or you're looking to grow a YouTube channel. You sort of really want to be narrow and focused on an area that you're known for. I call it, you know, attribution leadership which is sort of the idea of being positioned as that sort of one thing. So when it comes to subject matter expertise, try and go narrow, so one inch wide and a mile deep. And then that way you're sort of known for that one thing and then work off the back of that with consistent content. What's your one thing? Well, I think it's YouTube. (laughs) So it's video (laughs) marketing. So people come to us um, with growing their YouTube channels and generating leads through video. What's my one thing since I'm setting up a personal channel? Well, I think you're multiple things, but I think if I were to pick one thing, and this is maybe my personal opinion, it's I would say it is marketing and it's positioning. So I, I think that's you know where I've gravitated towards you from that. But I know also you talk about breadth of other things beyond just business. It could be life as well. I would never in a million years have guessed marketing or positioning. So that's very interesting to me. I might have to ask a few other people. Might get some different opinions. <laughs> oh, it doesn't mean it's not right in your case. It's just uh, like you said, I could be something different to different people. But that's probably the biggest challenge. I know some people just start and they want to get famous. Like I could start and do dancing videos on TikTok and I'm possibly get a following. Maybe if there's some kind of kook channel for people who can't dance where they laugh at it. However, that's, that doesn't generate a lead for me, for someone who wants to grow their online business. So I, d- I haven't made that connection yet. So I think this is where people get confused. Let's talk about that, you know, the balance of entertainment versus educating people who are coming to this channel because that's where I see I, I mean, I literally coach people who get hundreds of thousands of downloads to their podcast every month, yet I still have a stronger income because I have a higher signal versus noise ratio. 
let's just talk about how do you dial the balance between education and entertainment? Well, that's right. I think the way you see it is like if you're too educational, you think of like your academic professors who just, you know, put you to sleep during lectures um, at university or college. They're, they're 100% education. Then you've got the full-blown entertainment, which is like, I don't know, your cat videos and all sorts of just pointless, mindless stuff that people just like to watch in their downtime as well. So it's striking that balance in between. I, I call it edutainment, which is the act of being able to give really useful information, stuff that they can take away and basically do that in an entertaining manner. Because if you drop off, it doesn't matter how good or interesting your information is, you still need to be able to keep them engaged and actually watch the whole way through. So I guess from that perspective, you know, I guess uh, there's always a selfish benefit when people actually watch things or they're devoting their time towards something. There's always a question they think in their head, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, what's in it for me? So you need to be thinking about that. You need to go all in on your viewers, right? You need to make them better, smarter, you know, more successful, make them think. And then at the same time, being entertaining in that process. And then when they're ready to buy, they won't just sort of go to Google or your competitors, they'll come directly to you. So in other words, you start with the customer's challenge that you're able to solve with your deep knowledge and then you create your content around that and you make it educational, but you make it as entertaining as you can so that people actually watch it. Exactly right. And I think the big thing is, is that people really sort of focus on trying to sell and educate at the same time. And I think that's where a lot of things fall flat because things start to get a little bit slimy. You're sort of plugging yourself wherever possible in between. And generally, the audience can sniff that out pretty quickly. So I always say when you create content that's both educating and entertaining, if you've got something to sell or some way to monetize, right, focus on believing that people are sophisticated enough to discover you through processes of like reading your bio, checking you out, clicking on the links in your description. You can give a little plug at the end, certainly, but try not to go overboard. And I think the best rule of thumb is sort of give 100% when you give and sell 100% when you sell. Never try to do the two together because they won't work and they won't have the effect that you want. Interesting. I've heard, I could debate this one for a long time. I've heard a speaker say, look, you can't harvest and plant seeds at the same time. That kind of makes sense. Like you can't plant a seed and then try and pick fruit off it <laughs> Like at that moment. He was an advocate for planting seeds and then watering them, and then coming along and harvesting. I do combine my calls to action, but I'm too subtle. I mean, I had, literally had a guy yesterday, he just went through one of my mindset courses and he said, I love this. He said, I had no idea that you used to be a general manager of a Mercedes-Benz dealership. I thought you're just a guy who surfs a lot and likes online stuff and coaches successful people. I think I must have talked about my background in that training, obviously. And so I think I've been too subtle a lot of the time and not help people. And then you get the really in-your-face people. I think what they do for them is actually fine for them, but I couldn't do it without feeling like a douchebag. They're just in your face and they're straight up selling all the time. And they come from the tribe of, you know, if you don't shout it from the rooftops how amazing your product is, then you're denying them. <laughs> and I, th I think they're taking a little bit of, um, like they seem basically unaware of how obnoxious they are in some cases. And, and I look, I've a lot of these A-type visionary driver type business things, they're really strong promoters. And God, I just like about six names are floating straight out of my brain right now, but I will not mention them <laughs> because I think it's okay that they do them, right? If they're a lion and they eat the gazelle, that's just what they do, but that's not me. So it's a matter. But if you're a gazelle running around, you'll just be eaten by the lions. You've got to promote at some point. And I think this is where there's probably a bigger tribe of people who just have trouble asking for the order. Would you say that's true? I would say so. I think you should definitely ask and a lot of people don't ask enough. I think it's more about the timing of the ask more than anything. And I think a lot of people sort of more gravitate towards seeing how 
maybe your corporates on how they do it, which is, I guess, an example would be as a company, we do X, Y, Z. And sort of there's this whole sort of slimy infomercial type selling. Corporate sell by putting bull words into really long sentences <laughs> just like that, that make you want to vomit. Let's synergize and touch base and see if there's something we can align our values. Like, Buzzwords. Come on, man. <laughs> Seriously, no one actually talks that way except for corporate enterprise people. It's a whole secret dialect of bullshit words. And I, like, it grates me so badly because of all the companies that I work for that use those words. <laughs> like big, big companies, massive companies. And I'm so glad that I'm not in that environment anymore. <laughs> so Yeah, absolutely. When I see them, like it's like basically tell me you work in a corporate without telling me you work in a corporate. If you use those words, <laughs> guess what? You're doing everything that people hate that make it hard for you to make a sale. One of the things that works the best is just real talk. Like just be real. Like tell people how it is. Get straight to the point. That's the other thing this person, by the way, he said, I love how you just get to the point straight up. You're not fluffing it around. You're not running all these ads. You're not making big pitches for everything else. Just you know, deliver what you've promised. Okay, so where do we go from here? Well, I think there's a good understanding of, well, there needs to be a good understanding of the YouTube algorithm. I think it's good in order to now say, let's say you go, right, I understand. I need to be a subject matter expert. I need to focus on educating and entertaining, but how do I get myself found? So I think fundamentally understanding that YouTube is a search engine, therefore there are ranking factors and there are a bunch of rules that you need to play by in the game in order to find yourself discovered. So I think we definitely want to cover some of that. And I think it sort of distills down into a few different things. I think number one, it's keyword research, understanding where people are actually searching for information and whether or not you can place yourself there. For lead generation, what kind of words are we looking for with lead generation? Well, funnily enough, people think that you need to target what they call money keywords, which are keywords with people who have buyer intent. So if someone goes, oh, looking to buy a Mercedes Benz, right? However, I'm finding YouTube is more around the how-to content, which is more education-based, right? So that goes back to the whole educating and entertaining. So the type of keywords you want are usually- What's that? How to do a burnout in an AMG? Yeah, how to do that or why is this? (laughs) Or they're looking to learn, right? So doing a burnout might be one of them. That's what you're looking to do with your Mercedes-Benz. But I think at the end of the day, to give you an example, like we've got a client who's, you know, say a lawyer. You know, they may have people who are in you know, criminal law looking to say, look, I'm looking to get myself out of a particular court situation, or I might have a court summon. And therefore, they're creating really useful content around educating about what they need to know about legislation, what's their rights and responsibilities. So what sort of keywords, for example, would they be targeting? So they could be talking about something like a section 10, you know, which is the equivalent of sort of getting a, I think something like a conviction without it being on your criminal record. So they'll talk about what that is. Happy to say I'm not familiar with that one. (laughs) Well, when you're buried in this with your clients and creating content, then it's certainly uh, you become an expert in that area. But um, that is an example. So anyone who, let's say, they've got clients who say minor drug positions and they get a court summon and uh, they do their own research and they find, oh, Section 10 is an option maybe potentially that I can get. They'll go out there and research that. Google is one of those places they'll go research it. And then, you know, if you position your videos there, to help educate what are the probabilities, what are the chances, what are the things you need to do right to ensure that you get yourself a section 10. Those are really like sort of fantastic types of pieces of content that focus on both educating. And then if you make it entertaining at the same time, even though it's a very serious matter, you will win because people go, right, these guys are the experts. Who am I going to reach out to? And that'll eventually lead to inquiries and leads. Yeah. Like um, I had an injury lawyer client and we were not allowed to use advertising. So you couldn't actually could say nothing other than no win, no fee. That was it. You could say no win, no fee. And uh, so we would target like geographic things. 
you know, like the suburb and the type of lawyer. And the content we were making was an emotional documentary style story behind why these lawyers chose to become an injury and compensation lawyer. And they had some pretty sort of tug the heartstring true stories about how when they were growing up, their parent got ripped off by a big insurance company and they vowed to never let others get in the same situation. And then they speak to an actual customer who went through the agency and so there's sort of ways around it. I'm not exactly sure what keywords we would have chosen for that video, but probably geographic ones might be an option. Could be. I mean, some of the examples, say, if you're a personal injury lawyer, could be, oh, I injured my back. Do I have the rights to a personal injury claim? You know, and then doing a piece on explaining what are the chances, what are the key factors, you know, what's considered a legitimate case and what's not. So again, going down that sort of edutainment route, you know, and if you can do it for every permutation combination that your prospects could be in, those are fantastic. So I guess drawing on that same legal one, it could be a family lawyer. Let's just say you're going through a divorce and you're like, well, how do I split the assets between ourselves? And then so finding out keywords around how to split the house between each other or when can I kick my husband out after a divorce, <laughs> you know, like keywords around that, you'd be surprised people are searching for that and then creating content that maps to that will position you as the expert. Yeah, and there's definitely you know, special words in that, like you'd probably use words like asset pool and um, child custody, these sort of things would be very significantly geared towards that particular inquiry. Okay, I get it. Keywords are important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think beyond keywords, it's actually understanding, like I said, the algorithm. So I'll rattle off some of the key ranking factors that people need to think about. Number one is watch time. So that refers to how many hours people actually watch the content. So that could be either total watch time, meaning the total number of hours that are being watched on your channel, or it could be watch time specific to each video. And that's probably where the entertainment sustains it. That's it. You know, the more entertaining, the more watching. Exactly. And that leads into actually the second point, which is what we call retention. So that refers to what percentage of the video gets watched. So is it 60%, is it 30%, is it 100%? And so knowing sort of, you know, how long out of a percentage of that, so out of a 10-minute video, do they watch eight minutes, do they watch nine minutes or three minutes? The retention is one of the, the biggest ranking factors that YouTube decides whether or not it goes and recommends it. And uh, yeah. Is this by video and channel or is it just by video? Because that's really interesting to me. Like I had a friend of mine who knows about these things analyze my own channel, my business channel, Superfast Business. And there was a couple of videos on there that like virtually nobody watched. And so, you know, should I delete them? That's one of the questions I asked him. <laughs> and, you know, the ones that are getting a lot more um, people watch all the way through, you know, there was a couple of standouts. And he was suggesting, look, those are the ones that I would send traffic to because they're the ones that get you subscribers and they get you the results that you're after. But is it by channel or by video? Well, we find most of it through video specific, so less so channels. It does also depend on what we call the metadata. So meaning the channel tags and also the video tags. Anyone's uploaded a YouTube video knows that you can actually set tags on the videos. You can obviously write out the descriptions, links, and all that thing to describe and tell the algorithm what your video is about. So depending on what the keyword is, sometimes your channel does come through in terms of being discoverable versus if it's a specific video. But I would say maybe if a 80-20 split, yeah, 80% is focused on your videos. Perfect. Okay. All right. So the next one that we want to focus on are sort of very common one that everyone knows about, which is views. I mean, the more views on your video, the more that drives in terms of, I guess, discoverability from YouTube as well. The other one that we talk about is engagement. So whether it's the likes, the dislikes, the comments, how fast you respond, and also number of subscribers as well. So that, again, is another way that YouTube measures engagement, measures sort of your ranking factors and figures out whether or not it wants to put that in front of other viewers as well. Another really important metric that a lot of us focus on is click-through rates. 
So that refers to your impressions leading to people clicking on your videos, leading to people watching your videos. So as an example, impressions refer to when it shows up on your feed, what percentage of people actually click your videos, and then how many people end up actually watching that. So where that gets impacted is how good your thumbnails are and how good your actual title hooks are. So meaning your copywriting on the videos itself. So having a really strong click-through rate generally means that your videos will be recommended more highly by YouTube as well. And then of course, the last one, which a lot of people actually dismiss is closed captions, meaning the subtitling. If you don't have subtitling done on your videos, meaning having an uploaded file with the subtitles on it, Google will automatically go and crawl that and try and figure out what you're trying to say. But if you've got a thick accent, um, we find us Aussies generally don't do too well with YouTube, then generally they're not too accurate. And uh, surprisingly, Google actually can read that and then figure out what it is you're talking about in the video and then recommend that through search results as well. Go and watch a surfboard review sometime. It's absolutely hilarious how the surf terms <laughs> get auto-captioned. None of the surfing videos I've watched bother doing auto-captions because they're probably just not online marketing savvy. And, uh, you know, we've been doing this captions thing well before it was enabled or required. We used to put them in because I recognize that a lot of customers prefer to read. Now, I'm curious, if we're talking about lead generation how do we get someone from that video to turn into a lead? And are you tracking that and how? Yeah, look, I think we talked about the positioning, meaning around being a subject matter expert. We talked about being educating and entertaining for your viewers as well. And sort of using those lawyer examples, you sort of position that. But where we're talking about here with the algorithm is more about how you can make yourself discoverable. You know, how can you actually show up on search results? Because at the end of the day, if people aren't searching for the things that you can answer, then there's actually no point in doing YouTube because that's the limitation of, I guess, search engines or YouTube in general, which is if there's no search traffic, no matter how great your content is, if you put it out there, you may not necessarily have anyone who wants to go and watch it. Hang on a minute. I mean, I know people who, like there's specific camps, there's podcasters like this, this video will end up on YouTube, right? So I haven't gone and done any keyword research. We're just having a conversation. Hopefully someone in my team will do the keyword research around what I produce and they'll do that for our blog post and wherever we put it in the search results. There's another camp of people who are super searchy, keyword data geeky driven, and they'll go and do all their research and then create content. And sounding like your agency does a lot of that. And then there's the other ones, like they're creative superstars, like the million subscriber people who, and I'm, I can't see Russell Brand sitting there with his keyword research tool <laughs> before he makes a video for his 4 million audience. So there must be creatives or Joe Rogan or, you know, some of these YouTuber, I don't know if he's even on YouTube. I don't know where he's at these days, Spotify, but for YouTube itself, I'm thinking of a lot of the creators, especially the surfing ones I watch. They're not interested in keyword research initially, but they do sell things. That's what I'm interested in. Like even the, some of the surfers, they all sell merch now. That's what they want to happen when someone watches. I don't know what Russell Brand wants. He probably wants people to go to his concert. Seems that that's the only thing he promotes at the moment, but maybe he makes ad revenue. I can't remember if he runs ads or not, but I suppose this comes down to what the goal is. You're saying if you want to maximize lead generation, you should do keyword research. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. And I think also that you can do it the other ways that you're suggesting, but it's going to take a really long time. And your goal might be different. You might want advertising revenue or you might just, um, you want, like say you're an actor or whatever, or if you just want to feel significant and have a lot of people liking you, then the goal might be achieved. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Yep. Like I'm serious. Like, yep. A lot of these kids who grew up with no parents and had a rough start to life, they feel special 
when they've got a big following. And that's a thing. That could be the byproduct. For other people, it's money in the bank or sales of their e-commerce or that they make a lot of ad revenue. I've actually got a direct response marketer client who has channels with hundreds of thousands and he's now getting serious ad revenue from those channels that wasn't even an op- wasn't even like that wasn't the goal initially but it's like oh I can actually make a fair bit of money from this thousands per month. Yeah, that's right. And I think there are many ways to success, but it's like we're sort of looking for what's the minimum effective dose? What are not necessarily the shortcuts, but what are the quick wins that you can actually take you along that, you know, what would have taken you say 6 to 12 months, you can do it in say 3 months. So the advice that I'm giving here is sort of around if you're someone who doesn't have an existing audience, you're someone who wants to actually monetize your audience through generating leads as opposed to maybe through ad revenue and that sort of stuff. You generally have a very small or a relatively small niche for most people and focusing really closely on these guys through how-to content, education, entertainment. That's generally how you get them to do it. I know it sounds really counterintuitive. It's like, if you want to generate leads, try not to sell, educate and entertain, like just really focus on actually teaching. Because if you teach, you become an expert. And if you become an expert, people will naturally come to you when it comes time to actually say, look, I want to actually get an expert to actually take care of X, Y, Z for me. Who are they going to think of? You know, They'll come direct to you as opposed to going to Google or going to your competitors. That's fundamentally the entire premise of the buyer's journey. And YouTube is just one of those channels that you can monetize very heavily by generating leads through that. So someone comes to YouTube, they type in a search phrase, your content pops up. How do they go from that to being a lead? Well, they could either subscribe, which is what a lot of people do. They may not buy from you straight away. But that's not a lead, right? It's just a prospect. That's not a lead, but they will become a lead eventually. So the idea is that you want to get them into the sales cycle. So think of it this way. They go and subscribe and then they start to see new videos pop up. Let's say, for example, let's do Wealth Coach. So if you're someone who's going, look, I've got $10,000 to invest, where do I go? Okay. And you go and find a video that talks about this. Here's the areas. These are the investing strategy they would deploy. And you go, great, this is fantastic. I'll consider it. And then I'll subscribe. And then I'll watch a whole bunch of other videos because I want to discover their channel and I'm learning all about their content, right? And they're teaching me all these different personal wealth strategy tips and tactics, these tools, these softwares that I can use. And over time, you're building up, well, as a viewer, you're building up a relationship with this particular wealth coach, right? And now let's say, for example, over time, you've gone from what we say non-buy to buy mode, which is to say, now all of a sudden you're like, I'm looking for maybe a financial advisor. I'm looking for someone who can actually help me take my money to the next level. Right. Rather than actually going out there, like I said, Googling and looking for other people, you're thinking, who can I think of? Who's front of mind that would be a great fit for what I can do? So that person, that wealth coach has been doing that that whole time will be the one who's in consideration. And that's already half the battle. So then, of course, if they go and search your bio or they read up on you or they know what your website is and they go there and they learn about what your offerings are, then they will eventually become a lead because the idea is that you're someone who they know, like, and trust if you're the wealth coach and they will become a lead over time. Now, that doesn't happen overnight because you're not just selling, say, a pair of socks. And it's not like you know a couple of dollars that if I part ways with my money, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if it's good or quality socks. But the idea is that if I'm spending thousands of dollars, that consideration process is a lot more complex. So YouTube is a great way to build trust. That's essentially the idea. And you build trust through demonstrating your expertise and then becoming you know, a prospect. Or in your case, if you're a wealth coach, being able to have clients who want to pay money for the services that you provide or the programs that you have. Yeah, I get all that, but that's still a fuzzy answer to me. You just somehow said they'd go from, they watch you and they earn trust. And then if they know your website or whatever, like what is the bridge from YouTube to the lead? How do they end up in my email system as a lead or on the phone? What is the connection? This is where I'm really different. 
people go, oh, you've got to have a funnel. You've got to send them to a series of pages. I'm like, yes, as long as your website demonstrates, for example, as your website's your shop front, it can demonstrate exactly what you do. You can have a landing page with your programs or your offerings or your services, right? The idea is that I don't believe in pushing people down those funnels, right? So within the actual videos itself, you might give yourself a plug here and there. Like I said, give 100% when you give, sell 100% when you sell and be, I guess, have that balance where you actually talk about, you know, what it is that you do, right? Like what services you sell. Now, by seeding that, eventually when someone says, I'm ready to buy, they're going to jump on your website and they're going to buy from you. How do they know your website? Well, because they watch your videos and then they read your descriptions. They go on your channel. They look at your About Us page. It's the description. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know. I just want the call to action. Mm-hmm. What's the call to action and how do they – is it click on the link in my bio? Is it the watermark on the video? Do they mention the name of the website in the video? Do they use a logo or like do they have a signpost? Like that's what I want, the connecting piece. Or do they have a specific call to action video that they retarget people with that they um, know are watching their videos? Like, that's the little bit. The little missing piece for lead generation is how do they get from YouTube to on the phone? And you've just said, so sometimes it's the description. Do they drop an email address, et cetera? By the way, I'm with you. I'd, I could care less punching people through pre-written email funnels and all that stuff. That's a side thing. I know people who just make content videos and then in one case they even just mention a PayPal address and people will send them the money. Like it can be that simple. People overcomplicate it. So, yeah, I was just interested in the tactical bridge between the video and getting that lead. And I think you mentioned, are there any other that come to mind or have we covered them? Well, I think the other thing was just when people are, like I said, when they're moving into sort of that buyer's journey and they're looking to actually, you know, spend some money, sometimes it's got nothing to do with, say, you watch the video, right? Meaning they're a viewer, they watch the videos, they sort of know, like, and trust you, right? Then they go out and actually go and Google your name or they Google your company name. So like maybe mentioning your company name or if your channel name is based on your company name, those are the sort of little subtle things that people put two and two together and they'll go and Google, they'll jump on your website, they'll learn about what you do and then they'll end up inquiring with your services or your products as well. So that buyer's journey is not this sort of linear approach. It can be any number of ways and they can go through different methods. You know, we touched on, like, like I said, the descriptions and the bios and the channels. People are smart enough or sophisticated now to, if they really want to learn more about what you do, there's different avenues to do that. And those are some of the examples. That's good. They might've been somewhere else and then they're just searching for you in Google and seeing a video thumbnail pop up because there's a pretty strong relationship between Google and YouTube, right? They love to display video content. So that makes sense. And also from looking at my own analytics, I see people often visit many times in many places, probably because I'm very subtle with my call to action. Now you've planted a lot of seeds and you've created a lot of value here. Ken, this is the time where you get to mention to people how they can get in touch with you on this video. Yeah, well, it's my time to sell. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess in, in a lot of ways, but um, look, a lot of our clients come to us because they're looking to grow their YouTube channels. So we specifically have packages where they're YouTube growth packages. So that includes you know, things around auditing your channel if you've got one, or if you're looking to start one up, giving you some strategic advice on which direction to take that. And then obviously, if you're looking to create the content, we've got the video marketing team to both produce as well as disseminate and promote the content as well. So basically, if you're anyone who's looking to generate leads through YouTube, get in touch with us and uh, we'll be able to help you with that. Perfect. Love it. Well, this is episode 904. It's up on superfastbusiness.com. We have a full transcription. This is my call to action, see? So you're welcome to go there. You <laughs> opt in for the transcription of every single episode that we've done that we've transcribed. So that's a pretty good thing. You may also get offered super fast business coaching. Who knows? But I suspect you will. Can thank you so much for coming and sharing. And 
I don't mean to grill you too much, but I'm just I'm basically trying to represent the person who's not here, who's just screaming at me, tell me how to get the lead. And I think we got there. So I appreciate it very much. It's always such a pleasure. And I hope you'll come back and share some more with us in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.